0: Okay, welcome to another edition of Anglican Unscripted, episode 486. This is our third recording this morning because we're just too good for the first two
1: recordings. I'm Kevin Coulson. I'm George Conger. I'm Gavin Ashenden. It's February the 11th, 2019. (laughs)
0: Okay, before we get into it, I need to thank my co-host here because sometimes we have technical difficulties because we are cutting edge. There's no other people that can do multi-shore, uh, non-satellite uh, recordings like we can. And because we use this type of software, sometimes things just don't work right. And today we've lost Gavin's audio at the most pristine moment where he's about to say the most profound thing George and I ear to ear yes 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 and then the audio drops we don't want that to happen to you guys so we are re-recording again hoping to get everything in before his audio drops again and we'll work out the technical difficulties the rest of the week but we need to get a show out to you Um, now before we start it's also audience participation time once you finish watching the program please click like even if you haven't liked it you need to let other people know it's a likable program. Share it, comment, subscribe. We have a podcast. And I'm adding a new instruction to this wonderful audience. Retweet. If you are a tweeter, and many of you are, and you see uh, that Anklon Scripted has put up a new episode, please retweet that to your audience. Gentlemen, I'm going to let you know right now, I may not be available the rest of the month because we're having an ice storm here in Connecticut starting tomorrow. George, you probably have different weather down there.
2: Well, I'm driving down to Miami to pick up my wife, and uh, she tells me that uh, she has a terrible sunburn on the tip of her nose from uh, bathing uh, in Key Biscayne this weekend.
1: I'm going to have a frostbite. And uh, we suffer from rising damp until June. you. <laughs>
0: <laughs> all right so let's talk about the biggest controversy on england unscripted uh last week was the music oh yes <laughs> <laughs> we love the comments and you know uh in typical fashion uh Christians of a certain age have an amazing opinion on music, and uh, I'm listening and we we'll, I guess we could return to the old music I always no, had, oh no, no. No, no, no. <laughs> or look for new oh, music yeah. yes 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 so we we shall keep uh, uh that your comments and our thoughts and
1: uh continue on uh. Kevin, everyone wants to know why you change the music. I mean, we all disagree about whether we like it or don't oh, like I it. Oh, Well, that's a good question. Uh, I've had
0: the same music now for the entire Angle scripted uh, run for 486 episodes. And I like to change things up once in a while. And there's two people over this 400 episodes that keep saying, oh, I don't like your music. So I thought, listen, there's a library of three. three there's a library of uh youtube free music that that's copyright free that I could download and and experiment with, and apparently those experiments have led to a little bit of consternation amongst our viewers uh, Excuse me. and so we we will continue to pursue uh a new alternative to uh, what we've done so far whilst including what we've done so far. I've not made a decision. I'm the producer. I get to have the final say, um, and you guys are allowed to comment and complain all you want. That's fine. I lo- in fact, we love it when you guys do that. Um, and we're going to kind of critique some stuff going on in the national news uh, because that's what we do. The story I read this, a day or two ago, and it's a follow-up. whoops, I had it right here. Uh, a follow-up to the the pope going to the arabian peninsula and doing his thing and signing a concord with the uh, uh, islamic uh, leaders over there was people really don't know what to make of it and here's crux which is a catholic news organization Um, though reaction to pope francis's recent joint declaration with the leader al Azhar, arguably the most important figure in the sunni muslim world received mixed verdict from being hailed as historic to being dismissed as another feel-good statement without teeth. Few men have uh, more reason for wanting to be the former than the the guy who's writing this article. Now, I have to back up and say, in my worldview, I'm seeing more anti-Semitism. I don't know if that's because... Uh, more Islam is taking up leadership in other uh, governments around the world. And in my mind, I'm seeing a weaker Christian church, a weaker Christian presence in denominations all over the world. And I thought we could sit down and talk about this. Um, Gavin, your thoughts on uh, the Pope and his uh, new uh,
1: concordant? One of my concerns is that <clears throat> there aren't many outlets for for people telling the truth, uh, theological truth, narrative journalistic truth. Um, one of the theological issues is whether or not Allah is the same God as Yahweh. Uh, one of the issues of telling the truth is what was really going on in this Concordat, as you, as you explained. The the other signature was the Alatar Grand Imam, whose name is Sheikh Ahmed Al Tayeb, mm-hmm. uh, and he signed a document for human. Fraternity for world peace and living together with the Pope. Um, this sounds really lovely uh, and it's certainly true they signed it, but what is also true and not being said is that Al-Tayyab has been speaking Arabic in Egypt and saying some very different things. So for example, one of the things he's currently engaged in is supporting <coughs> the campaign for capital punishment for apostates, so people who leave Islam should be killed. This fit very well together with the fraternity for world peace and living together. Um, but, but no one has been, or very few <coughs> people, the, the Gatestone Institute has been telling people about it. Uh, George is overcome with anxiety. <laughs> <and> <laughs> emotion, <laughs> well, but right.
0: I, I, I want to back out a little bit. We saw this <laughs> in, in the secular world, too. I remember John Kerry doing his negotiations with uh, Iran over the nuclear deal. And he would fly back here to America and say, oh, the negotiations are going really well. And the Iranians would tell their people, listen, we're lying to them tooth and nail, and they're believing it. Why are Americans so stupid?
1: They don't speak Arabic for a start.
0: (laughs) Yeah, they don't speak Arabic. And so I'm watching this, and now I'm seeing this happening more and more in in uh, Christian-Islamic relations.
2: If I may just slide in before we take off on there. People need to understand who Al Tayeb is and what he stands for. The Grand Sheikh of Al Hazar uh, is the is a government official. He is appointed by the Egyptian government. He is the face of corporate institutional Islam. It's the equivalent of the Church of England. The majority of active Islam consider the Grand Sheikh of Al Hazar to be a softy to be somebody who really is too uh, interested in cuddling up to the government and to non-believers. So what you've got, and, and Gavin is absolutely right, you have public statements in printed in Italian and English and Latin where we sign fraternal, uh, fraternal greetings and love for one another. And then you have the statements in Arabic that totally under, undercut all this. And the vast majority of Sunni Muslims are farther, if you will, toward the right, to more conservative, and it's, we need to be careful of painting uh, this sheikh as being representative of of the body of believers in Islam. Things are much, 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 much worse than uh, we're led to believe.
1: They are. Just, just just a commentary. Whilst George is coughing and spluttering, my, I've got crap in both my legs and I've been kicking my tripod.
0: Oh, gee, I thought that was an earthquake. <laughs> I thought we should make an announcement that, no, you know, portions of England are...
1: Our, our physiological distress has got nothing to do with the with, with, with topic. It just is accidental. I'd like to go on to talk a, a, about a parallel on, on Twitter today um, Kevin, you were saying there's been some Twitter excitement of anti-Semitism in the States, and no doubt you'll fill that in in a moment. But in England, one of the tweets that came to me was of a, a, an imam in a mosque who was teaching his community and saying, we are committed to being a state within a state in England until we take over. And when we take over, we will get rid of the House of Commons. Meanwhile, we must preach Islam in a uh, in an un diluted way to people and act as a state within a state. There are something like 120 uh, semi-official Sharia courts now in England operating as a state within a state. The statistics are that since 2001 there have been more Muslims saying their prayers and have been Christians saying their prayers and it's now in 2016 double the number of Muslims who are at their prayers and one of the reasons this matters is that um, Christians are, are, are likely to feel very strongly about the prospect of a growing Islam because in a sense we're in a competitive market with them. We are saying the, the God we invite you to have a relationship with is an entirely different character to the one that Muslims invite you to, to submit to. But the problem we have is that our Christian leaders don't see any difference between the Islamic God and the Christian God. In other words, there's a theological problem right at the heart of the discussion. And and so we have a whole series of, of places where the truth is not told. It, it's not told in the media. Uh, it's not told uh, in the church. And there's a great deal of theological confusion as well that, that we ought to try and clear up.
0: Well, this is a great place for a place like getreligion.org to fill us in because I don't think anybody gets religion anymore. I know the press does not understand Islam. They certainly don't understand Christianity. So when they're doing this comparative, um, they're doing this kind of at the Lisa Rice uh, level where she said Islam is a, a religion of love. Um, yet when you look at it, George, it's not as simple as that islam is works on a different basis um don't you submit to the islam god
2: yes islam has nothing to do with love you don't love the lord your god with all your heart soul mind and strength in islam you submit to allah love has got nothing to do with the relationship between man and the the divine uh divine being part of it uh comes within the american context it's bad we may think it's bad right now with anti-Semitic congressmen from Detroit and Minneapolis spewing virulent Jew hatred on the internet. We may think that's bad, but England it's a hundred times worse. But we start we can trace this from, you know, George Bush and uh and his administration and Barack Obama of trying to give a sanitized, genteel version of Islam. So uh we have, would have Condoleezza Rice, the Secretary of State, tell an absolute falsehood that Islam is about love, and George Bush say uh, Allah is the same as Jehovah or Yahweh. It's all one God. We just have different ways of approaching it.
1: And it's, it's astonishing, astonishing the extent to which there is a degree of theological ignorance as well as, if you like, intellectual ignorance. So, in a, in a service in Westminster Abbey to uh, in celebration of the ANZAC Treaty, the Australian and New Zealand. Uh, entry into the First World War. There was a prayer in Westminster Abbey which went like this Peace be upon all auspicious prophets of God from Adam, Noah and Abraham to Moses, Jesus and Muhammad, Mustafa." Mustafa means the chosen one. What this prayer did in uh, in, in, in Westminster Abbey was to place Jesus within the Islamic pantheon of prophecy. In other words a precursor to Mohammed, who comes after him. Now it was in Turkish Nobody bothered to check, and nobody ever objected. But the idea that, nor has it ever been retracted or apologized for, but it's part of the astonishing theological and biblical ignorance of our leaders, certainly in this country here, who've been who've be, got their theological education from secondary school teachers, who've been teaching them that all religions are more or less the same, and Islam is simply one of the three medieval, middle, sorry, middle Eastern cousins, along with Judaism and Christianity. Whereas, as George was saying, theologically, we are in fact opposite to one another. The God of Abraham and Isaac is not the God of Muhammad, Abraham, and Isaac, because Muhammad drew from an, an entirely different source of revelation and draws an entirely different picture. So essentially, one of the things that I want to do shortly is to, to, to release a video where I, I want to suggest to people in England that you've given up on Jesus, you've preferred your secularism, but your choice is only between Jesus and Muhammad because no, no atheist, no materialist, no progressive left person is likely to die in order to hold Islam back. Christians will, but secularists won't. And so as Islam continues its inexorable drive through the demography and through the institutions, only Christianity can hold it back by conversion. And therefore what we're, we're, we're faced with is, uh, and again, one of the things people won't talk about, the, the truth is it's a growing conflict between the state within a state, between Islam and Christianity. And if you don't follow Jesus in England, You'll get the Prophet Muhammad, like it or not, in about 10 to 15 years' time.
2: Uh, The the, the struggle right now really isn't between Christianity and Islam. Um, We recently had Stacey Abrams, who was an unsuccessful candidate for governor of Georgia, give a response to the President's State of the Union address. And then she went on to write, pen an article in Foreign Affairs about American politics and culture. And in this article, Abrams who was put forward by the Democratic Party as their spokesman, said that the struggle is between white males and Asian males versus women, people of color, gays and lesbians, so on and so on and so forth. And it is right to favor everybody but white and Asian, meaning in America, Chinese, uh, East Asian males. It's right to favor everybody but those. Now, here, here's the, theo- the, the philosophical, theological issue. You can change, you can adopt Islam, you can adopt, if you will, communism, and you, in essence, move out of a characteristic that is inherent, in you. Or you can adopt a theology, a philosophy, that is based upon an immutable characteristic, gender, race, color, sexual orientation, things of that nature. And here's the funny thing these are two competing worldviews which Christianity rejects both of them Mm -hmm. yet that's the fight right now and you've got the left and Islam certainly in the Labour Party in the UK arm in arm yet what they stand for is
1: completely absolutely diametrically opposed to one another. That's such an important point George because these two conflicting views have joined Uh, that joined together to displace the Judeo-Christian culture. And the the really interesting question was going to be, at what point does the fact that they are antithetic to one another emerge? And it's just emerged for the first time in England this month. And it did so because Stonewall, which is the uh, campaigning arm of LGBT values, which is firmly ensconced with government funding and uh, a government platform, had managed to take over a, a public, as in a, a, a state-sponsored school in Birmingham, and it had placed LGBT education right at the centre of the curriculum. And suddenly, this last month, about 20,000 Muslims demonstrated against this, and said, we won't send our children to these schools until you withdraw stonewall from their place of influence now stonewall of stonewall along with the whole lgbt and trans agenda have been cutting through the english establishment like a knife through butter and you would have thought they were entirely inviolate and um uh, unmovable stonewall withdrew from that school within within hours because there wasn't any way that the authorities could stand up to thousands of muslim protesters in a muslim enclave now that that that's the first step of a, sorry, I'm thinking that was that's exciting. Right. <laughs> that's the first step of a process that's going to begin to unfold in front of us. But the trouble is it's going to unfold because the, the Christian voice is finished. There are no Christian voices raised in favor of Christian education. I've never understood why either the Church of England or, to a lesser extent, the Catholic Church, have not defended their schools as as places... Um, of, of Christian education. But there is effectively very little of that now.
0: Well, I think Westernism, uh, the Western society has said, you know, Christianity, you had your chance. Uh, but you, you, clearly you can't keep up with the times, cl- even though they've tried. Uh, clearly, you know, um, uh, the time for Christianity as an influence in any part of government or Western society is over. Um, we haven't tried Islam. Why don't we try that now? And well, that's given what
1: I'm not given a choice. Um, most of our supermarkets now produce halal meat. Nobody ever asked any of us if we want to, if we want meat from animals that are cruelly killed. Again, the antith- antithetic relationship that George has been talking about between, for example, am- animal rightists and vegans, who are really quite energetic in, the, in, in, in their campaigns, but they're wholly silent when it comes to the cruel slaughter of animals to produce halal meat and the supermarkets are simply buying it and the schools are producing it for our children to eat. It is now almost impossible to get away from halal in the UK but there is not a moment of protest from Christians, secularists or anyone else. And the danger is, as you say, if you don't stand up, if, if you don't in some way find something stronger than Islam, you will find yourself submitting it, because it won't stop.
0: I hope it doesn't seem a hobbit on it.
2: <laughs> <laughs> we're, I, I believe we're going to see civil war in England in my lifetime. I know that sounds kooky, and people have this image of England that uh, maybe film arose from movies of the 40s and the 30s, but I believe we're rapidly approaching a situation where in France we have these banlieues, is that how you pronounce it, Gavin?
1: Banlieues. Where,
2: yes. Where, where, where that are entirely Muslim and outside the control of the state, um, they are in essence little drops of uh, Algeria and Morocco uh, in, in, uh, in metropolitan France. And we're seeing that. And we've had uh, self righteous, ignorant people condemn Michael Nazirale for saying that they're no-go zones in London and Birmingham and whatnot, when the reality is that they're there and they're getting stronger. The state, the police, will not get involved. You, you have, Gavin once mentioned a, a woman, an English woman, saying, protesting to the police that you're not allowed to have Muslim public prayer here in this park in central London uh, because it's against the law, and the police said, well, you are you. You are raising an inconvenient fact and you're more in danger of being under arrest than the Muslims are because we're afraid of them. Um, it's going to... It, people forget there's still the working class, the lower middle classes. If In the United States, we'd call them poor whites, the white trash. And that's... I live in that part of the world. And friends, we are going to have a civil war one day if the trajectory doesn't change. It, it will come to violence. I'm fairly confident about that. Um, yeah, I don't know I, I don't the want to far sound far
0: conspiracy Yeah, this show doesn't want to sound conspiracy, but I don't see any other way forward.
2: even this here in America the, one day. In, what, what, in other words, it from the, the uh, I think we need to look at Beirut mm-hmm. and what it once was and what it has become since the 1970s
0: or Afghanistan.
2: Well, Beirut was a uh, cosmopolitan western city with uh, clearly defined Christian and Muslim quarters. And the Civil War uh, has so destroyed Beirut that it is now just another dirty, depressing, inhospitable uh, Middle Eastern city. Um, Afghanistan. That the problem is intractable.
0: Afghanistan of the 70s, uh, women wore jeans uh you know it, it was a different time until uh violent islam
2: uh came to knocking on the door then for my for my for my thinking though that it, uh, anti-semitism is the canary in the coal mine if we allow that if we allow that to become socially acceptable if we believe that's that it is a that's an argument amongst other arguments well that le- i believe that uh leads to the moral normalization Of the destruction of all that we stand for as the societies and the culture if we don't stand up for the Jews right now when they need it in the UK in France and other parts of the world we as Christians are failing in our fundamental duties to love our neighbors ourselves yeah Yeah. we have some anti-semites who love to comment on our show and uh, bring out all these conspiracy theories and go ahead, friends. Uh, this is cheaper for you than psychotherapy. But uh, we're, we're quite—I think—I think, I think uh, the three of us are quite agreed that the antisemitism is a problem that most of us thought ended in
1: 1945. It's and interesting, George. You should talk about conspiracy theories because, of course, um, what, what we're talking about is facts. Uh, the conspiracy is the conspiracy of silence. Mm. It's it's the conspiracy to keep from the public what the Islamic ambition is in England, which you get when you listen to Islamic teaching inside a mosque. The conspiracy is to keep the media from telling the truth about the anti-Semitism in the Labour Party, that it comes from courting uh, an Islamic, uh, the, is the Islamic vote. The conspiracy is is to not tell the truth about the extent to which Islamic culture is seeping through British society and Islamic finance and Islamic definitions. And the thing that scared me most recently was the Metropolitan Police accepting a definition of of Islamophobia that was provided to them by the Muslims and it said anybody in the public space who associates Islam with violence is guilty of Islamophobia which is now a crime. To, if you tell the truth about the Islamic Islamic history, it's impossible to do so without reference to Islamic violence. So well, we have the conspiracy of silence,
2: and we had that Austrian case where a woman uh, was jailed for pointing out the fact that Muhammad was a pedophile, that uh, he he bedded his eight-year-old wife, and that uh, that is part of the Muslim religious and cultural tradition. And for that, she was jailed. And what she was basically see so in the United States, we have the defense of truth. Uh, if you can, somebody says, "Oh, you've libeled, you slandered mm-hmm. me," and then you can point to, "Well, here's what you said." That's an absolute definition. But in Europe, uh, in Austria, and in the European Court of Human Rights, we now have the de- We now have a higher value, which is you cannot offend people even with uh, giving verbatim testimony from their sacred
1: texts. And and that's what worries me so much theologically. Um, The the meeting that I attended in London recently with some of us were discussing this, they they played again a clip from the uh, Epiphany Eucharist in Glasgow which was the trigger for me to resign from being a Queen's chaplain. And what was extraordinary was to see this woman reading a surah from the Quran that said Jesus is not the Son of God whilst all the dignitaries in the cathedral sat there scratching their heads and yawning without any sense at all that there was something antithetic to, to reading the Quran saying that Jesus is not divine in the middle of a Christian Eucharist. It is our leaders, our theologians, our bishops and our clergy who have no sense of, of what they're sleepwalking into uh, and and um, no sense either that, that the, the, the gospel is an invitation to be rescued to be rescued from submission to Islam and to be rescued from the chaos of secular hedonism. But voices, we've, we, we in the church we no longer invite people to be saved from hell and, and, and allow Jesus to carry us to heaven or to be saved from those other disasters that, that face humanity. We We live in this conspiracy of silence. And one of the things I'm very grateful for is a program like this which allows us at least to try and tell as much of the truth as we can manage.
2: We see, we see uh, I live in a poor part of the United States. Uh, our county is one of the poorest counties in Florida, and Florida is not a wealthy state, save for the little coastal pockets. And our young people are dealing with uh, the scourge of drugs. They're dealing with having no sense of what is the future. Materially, they've never been better off. They have they have cars they have educations They may be poor working class people but in material goods they have more than any generation before yet as human beings as spiritual beings they live in a culture in a society that gives them nothing and they turn to self-destruction and if we don't step in this is you know why is islam so popular in prisons because it gives a certainty To somebody who has basically screwed up their life that can now find a way forward that finds fault with the society and being in this way. Um, It's if we don't act uh, now uh, we will lose everything that Western civilization
1: has sought to achieve. And to me it's an enormous disappointment that Pope Francis has been willing to sign this, this an entirely um, commendable aspirational document which is so detached from reality. It's it's a piece of essential Pelagianism, as if human beings are capable of living together when they are rattled by sin, pride, and aggression, and as if, too, the Islam and Christianity uh, live in a truce with one another. The only Christian leader who's spoken the truth about this recently was Pope Benedict, and of course he got howled down just by telling putting the thing in a context of history we we need leaders who will tell us the truth only if people are given the truth can they make choices and we need to be able to make choices
2: and some of our leaders are over uh, how should I put this they've missed the point there was a controversy a number of years ago where Rowan Williams uh, when he was Archbishop of Canterbury said well we should allow the Muslims to have Sharia courts because after all we allow Orthodox Jews mm. to have their private courts to settle matters of divorce and inheritance fair is fair we should let the Muslims to do the same thing now on I guess on one academic level that's a perfectly reasonable assumption where we assume A equals B but the reality is so much different because Islam is not, a, a, is not A faith akin to Judaism.
1: And Judaism, exactly. It is this law of false equivalence that matters. Judaism has no ambitions to take either to take over the world or to take over the host states in which they live. Whereas Muslims are, are required by the Quran both to take over the world and to take over the state they live and to impose Sharia law on everybody else. George, you and I are unlikely to have circumcision forced upon us, thanks to St. Paul. That was settled theologically a long time ago. And it's not like... Are we discussing is, this? or really <laughs> politically. But, but if you'll forgive my sense my, my of humor, sh- the, the, the Muslim, Muslim community are committed to imposing Sharia law on us in a way that Judaism is not.
2: Well, that's an aside, Gavin, that, that, that analogy, the majority of American males are circumcised.
1: So let's, let's, to let's not go into this. <laughs> it
2: has nothing to do. Nothing to so t- trending <laughs> on part, Twitter part this week is I'm circumcised. <laughs> and if you're not circumcised, it's actually socially awkward once you get into high school and everybody, oh my goodness, what's wrong with you?
1: Kevin, take us back to the music quickly. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, let's, let's take
2: this all back.
0: It's 2019, it's February. Right now in Western Minds, european minds uh certainly journalism minds the evil of the world was christianity was western society was colonialism and they don't understand islam but they think it's a fine perfect uh replacement because they are being told all over the the world now by pope francis that islam is love now if you really take a quick look Christianity is full of people who hate women. You are just, you're women haters and you, you want to hold them back and you hate uh, homosexuals and you hate Jews and you hate anybody who's not you. In reality, the people that you're now promoting, Islam has more of that identification than uh, misinterpreted Christianity. I just, you know, it's it's a different time and this is the coming uh civil war. Again. That's a depressing note. Let's talk about something great. Let's talk the transition here on the wonderful life of a certain canon who uh recently passed away, uh Canon Michael Green. Uh, Michael Green. Um wow. Gavin, uh, you've certainly met him.
1: Yes, he he would email me um from time to time, if I may say so, uh, Twitter is, is and Facebook are full of people saying, "I knew Michael Green and he and he admired me," and <laughs> I don't want to get into no, that. No, don't do that. But I was Michael Green. In the last couple of years, has been enormously supportive to me, mm-hmm. uh, and, and, and wrote to me regularly. Uh, he listened to this show, uh, and he supported the values that, that we have. I heard that at the very end, when he was in hospital he was still trying to interest people with a relation in a relationship with Jesus. Um it's so sad there's only been one of him. If there were more Michael Green's this the world and the church were a different place. He he was a again an unusual man in that he was both clever and holy. And there mm. are so few of those. Um he's a man I I, I greatly admire. Although I chose not to go to his theological college when he uh was was principal of it. Part, to get in, you had to write, <clears throat> uh, you had to answer a question and said, describe your relationship with Jesus and take as much paper as you like. And I remember think well, cool. oh, no, I, I, I thought I'm not going to do this. This is, this is a trap. Uh, I, I either want to do it, you know, in a sentence and a half or it'll take a book. Um, what, what, how is this a reasonable question? Um, but I missed the opportunity of, of spending three years with him and I lament that. I met
0: him first in uh, Long Beach, California. He was attending a conference out there. And wow, dynamic. Uh, and uh, could preach without notes in front of him. And uh, that was just so impressive to me. And
1: everybody he uh, spoke to, he was an encouraging voice. He, he yeah. knew how to rely on the Holy Spirit. Uh, he, and he was at the forefront of, of the movement to renew the church with the Holy Spirit, a movement which to our great surprise, appear to have run out of steam. We'll miss him very much, he was uh, he was one of the reasons for being very proud to be an Anglican in the last 50 years.
2: Part of the ministry and mission of the work of of the three of us is to give these voices because there are other Michael Greens arising across the religious spectrum of Anglicanism, Mm -hmm. and the established channels of the hierarchy, the institutions, and the academia are closed to the Michael Greens of the current generation. And part of our work is to give those men and women voice and the ability to reach an audience that needs to hear what they're saying. And, folks, you know, none of the three of us uh, rise to the level of Michael Green, but there are people out there, and help us help them uh, preach and teach. I think that's something I hope you all take away.
1: Mm.
0: Very good. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, we, we pray that the Lord lifts up more Michael Greens and um, strengthens the church. We do that through encouragement. Now, what we talk about here on Anthony Scripted is some t- tough topics. You know, today was a tough topic. We came on. Yes. George uh,
2: was preaching revolution. Uh, you know, let's <laughs> go right. to the streets now. <laughs> the people united will never be defeated.
0: You know, uh, let's look for the Sandinistas as our guide. And. It's tough to talk about these things, but it's a reality that I think the church, society, certainly the Roman Catholic Church and uh, large portions of the Anglican Church are just blind to. Now, we know uh, primates and bishops of the Anglican uh, community who could talk about this all day long. Uh, S- Sudan, Nigeria, uh, Kenya, Tanzania, where these are struggles they put up with everyday and it leads to them not having time to put time into the international workings of the Anglican Communion. They're dealing with very difficult, violent struggles in their nations. And, you know, that's why it's tough for us to talk about. It's, it's equally tough for them to deal with.
2: Don't okay. get me started, Kevin, because you'll get me started on how <laughs> Justin Welby favors the Muslim Prime, prime Minister of Nigeria, Mohamedou Buhari, right. and slights the Church of Nigeria on every occasion that he can. Um, you know, Buhari is a very controversial president who has favored <clears throat> Islam with his appointments and the appropriate apportionment uh, of government income from oil revenues. Uh, he has done nothing about the persecution of Christian farmers by Muslim tribesmen. And every time Buhari flies up to London for medical treatment, we get one of these for just saccharin. The uh, press up. Photo ops with Justin Welby about how they're lo- so loved and everything. Man, you know, the rot. I don't, I'm not going to say it starts at the top, but it certainly uh, is at the top of the Anglican world right now on this issue of yeah. standing up and speaking about the rights of Christians in the Muslim world. And
1: Michael, well, it, Michael Green was was um, it, it, in terms of our our, our poor relationship with Lambeth Palace and all that it stands for. Michael Green. Uh, was a was a, a quiet but persistent critic of the Welby regime and its values, and he he's been very grateful for what Anglican Unscripted has done over the last few years. He told me.
0: Hmm. Well, wow. we we don't need the compliments. We really appreciate it. Um, one of the things we want to do as uh, co-hosts here is to be humble, uh, but not shy away from the tough topics. And today is one of the tougher ones.
2: Well, uh, like 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 Clement Attlee, we have much to be humble about.
0: <laughs> yes, we do. We do. <laughs> uh, I was sitting with a, a friend of mine for 30 years, and he was visiting someplace in uh, Massachusetts and uh, where a, a large number of Anglican priests were gathered. And he said, they talk about your program all the time. And every time they learned who I was and that I knew you they asked about you and I'm like that is very humbling because this show uh, provides a service of information it shows that what we're doing matters not because of anything with our uh, uh, character other than we banter uh, but we care about this as well we're talking about topics that we care about and we have met through the confluence of you know, certainly the Lord's leading. we put together some technology and an ability to sit down and press record and talk.
2: Uh, you know? Kevin, I, I I I think you should also point out that whereas there may be some pockets that look kindly upon us, uh, Gavin certainly has been blackballed by the institution of the Church of England. I have been blackballed by the communion partners within the Episcopal Church, <laughs> the only, and.
1: And others, we have we have our detractors as well as our supporters. We do. Yeah, I was I was just thrilled this week. The, we had this big George Bell meeting in Chichester, which we talked about, and uh, it was reported in the Church Times. I think uh, Bishop Warner must have told them, given the report about his speech. Uh, and I was I was thrilled because I had quite a prominent part in it, and the Church Times refused to, to name me and said a voice said, and I thought <laughs> that's it. I, I'm, I'm sufficiently dangerous to be reduced to a voice said.
2: Well, Gavin, you are a voice crying in the wilderness yeah, makes absolutely. straight the pathways of the Lord. Yeah. I'm certainly not um, crying
1: in the Church Times anymore. <laughs>
0: uh, well, it, it, it's an amazing ride, and I, I always remember this quote uh, told to me by the person who, who saw it happen. Uh, when I pulled up to Lambeth, uh 2008 uh for the first time i unloaded all my equipment into the press room and audibly in the uh the official room or the lambeth press was uh station somebody said what the hell is he doing here <laughs> whoa man <laughs> just a lot of love so yeah that's that's our history Some people love us, some people hate us. I'm Kevin Carlson. I'm George Conger.
1: I'm a voice. Otherwise known (laughs) as Kevin Ashton, you've been listening patiently to Anglican Unscripted 486. God bless you and thank you.